Episode 95, Baby Planets. And Moon. And welcome back to another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart, and I'm sitting here in the office of Dr. Emily Brunsden, who is opposite me at the table. Emily, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Good. Now, that question I always ask you, but it takes on ever more meaning as time goes on, because, of course, we're waiting for the big event. The big event hasn't happened yet. No, no, no. we've got a few weeks yet. Still a few weeks yet, but the, the, the clock is definitely ticking. Those of you who have been under a rock as far as the podcast is concerned, we're just waiting for the day that uh, we get the call that says, Emily's having a baby, which is very exciting. Could happen any day now, but hopefully not while we're recording this podcast right now. But it also means that over the last month or so, we've been recording episodes of Syzygy all based around the idea of babies, baby things, baby galaxies, baby universes, baby stars. Today, we're going to be extending that a bit to baby planets, how planets are made, how planets are born. Now, the Syzygy completionists amongst you may already remember that we talked about planet formation. What was it, back in, in the, the 20s of Syzygy? Episode, Episode 26 was how to build a solar system. Right. And then we came back and had another bite at it in the 60s, Yeah, yeah didn't we? Yeah. So we looked at the um, evidence of a planet forming around a very early type star. That's right. Actually seeing it in the process of it, of it happening. So... We've already looked at this topic a couple of times, and that's not to say that we've covered everything that you could possibly know about planets and how they form, because that would be ridiculous. You couldn't do that in two (laughs) hours of podcast. But what we are going to focus on today is some of the aspects of planet formation and where baby planets come from that we still don't quite understand. Is that is that accurate, Emily? Is yeah. that where we're going? Yeah. So I think it's nice to... We'll give an overview. We're not going to leave you in the dark about no. how planets form. We're not just going to throw our hands up and go, I don't know. But instead of kind of re-recording in some senses, uh, particularly episode 28... Um, I think it would be, 26 it was, sorry. I think it would actually be nice to look at, okay, this is the overall process that we understand. Mm -hmm. Here's some really nice specific examples. Uh, There's one that actually just came out literally yesterday. Yeah, I mean, talk about serendipity. It landed on our Twitter feed just this week and all over the news of brand new planet forming around star. It's happening right now. Very exciting. Very much. Involving some people that that I even know back at the University of Sydney, which is even doubly exciting. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, and it's made a celebrity appearance in a um, recent film as well. Has it? Oh, I didn't see that bit. That's exciting. Yeah, lots to talk about there. Um, But then I thought, well, let's just also have a quick sort of side look at, it kind of sounds a lot Often, I think, on this podcast that we say that things are very fair complete. So, they, you know, we, yeah, you know, we understand galaxies. We, we, are, we, we understand know. more than you can possibly imagine about the universe. And here it all is wrapped up with a nice, nice package with a bow around it. Yes. Yeah. But there's some things we don't know yet. Well, there's quite a lot that we don't <laughs> quite know. Quite a lot, turns out. So it's nice to highlight that sometimes. Um, I think maybe I do this quite a lot when I'm teaching because uh, when I walked out, I had my um, first year class that just finished a few weeks ago and uh, I was just finishing up and chatting to the students. And then just as I was leaving, I overheard them say, you know, she just finishes every lecture on and we don't understand this. (laughs) 
I mean, that's better than giving them the sense that it is all completely done and why are you even here? You know, we don't need more astronomers. If you can leave people with a sense of, no, we need you. We've got questions that need to be answered. Surely that's better. Exactly. And these yeah. are the guys that are going to be going on and answering some of these questions. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, get yeah. stuck in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's honest. It's good. So that's where we're going to be going today. But before we do, just a little bit of follow-up on, I think it was episode 92, where we were looking at... So we've done a couple of episodes recently on baby stars, stars being born. But the first one of those was the first stars, the first stars in the universe, really, really old stars. You know, when after the Big Bang, after everything went boom off into this brand new thing called the universe, oh, what's happening here? And there are all sorts of things happening. And atoms eventually formed and light was whooshing around. And eventually we got to the point where, okay, all of that's done. Settle down. Let's now focus on the important task of actually making big stuff like stars. And those first stars formed. And talk about serendipity again. Another piece of research in the news has just come out about the oldest star that's ever been found. Right? In, a, in an image from Hubble, there's been a star actually spotted like an individual star because when i was talking to emily about this not not long ago there was the question between well you know are we talking about a star or are we talking about a galaxy which contains stars which is which is really really old no this is a star this is an individual an image of a star that they reckon was formed 900 million years after the big bang like not even a billion 900 million years. I'm looking across the table, getting a reaction from Emily. <laughs> Emily, is this exciting? Of course, it's really exciting. I wouldn't have even thought you could do it because, as we say, when, we, when we're talking about the first stars in the, that episode, we were talking about galaxies that we were observing and we were talking about galaxies that we were observing kind of 400 million years after the Big Bang, which is earlier, yes. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking about galaxies, which is the entire light from hundreds of billions of stars put together. And these are the things that we can only just see. And you're inferring, well, I mean, it's a galaxy. It's got stars in it. So when we're seeing galaxies, we're seeing stars, like surely. But no, this is this is a star, and they've done it in a really clever way, haven't they? Yeah, so, I mean, to, to pull out the idea that you could take a picture of an individual star from this kind of smudge of a galaxy, I would have thought instantly, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Because by definition, looking at things which are really, really old because of the speed of light, the finiteness of the speed of light, if you're seeing something which was, to all intents and purposes, 13 billion years ago, then that means it's like right across the other side of, of the observable universe because that's the only way we'd be seeing it now is if it was 13 billion years ago in time and space, right? The light's got across the space to us. And that's really far away. How do you see a star, <laughs> an individual star? And it turns out they use a really, really, really clever technique. It's called gravitational lensing, which is where you can magnify something far far away by the way the light bends around something really massive in between us and the really distant thing yeah right? yeah essentially it's saying well we don't have the technology and the telescopes to do this kind of here on earth but let's just let the universe create us a giant lens yeah yeah because because gravity bends light right general relativity this is einsteinian stuff light follows a, a curved path around really really massive things then that's that's all a lens does, right? A lens just curves light and focuses it and, and forms an image. 
And so what you can do is look at something really far away with something really massive in the way, and it'll lens around it. It's called gravitational lensing. And so the astronomers looked at this really, really distant galaxy as it was lensed by a massive cluster of galaxies in the way, and they realized that one part of the entire galaxy that was being lensed, one part had been magnified so much, like thousands of times, that there was this spot in it that they're going, I reckon that's that's a star. Like it's that's star. one star. All by itself. Yeah, which is Amazing. staggering. Absolutely staggering. Anyway, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. We're not going to go on about that at length because that's not the topic of today's show. But it is really cool that it comes only a couple of weeks after we talked about this exact topic. It's almost like we are influencing in real time the research and discoveries of the astronomical community. Well, obviously. Obviously. So thanks, everyone, for following that up for us. We really appreciate it. Look, enough of that. Let's get on to today's topic. Emily, we're talking planets, and we're talking where they come from and how they're born. Yeah, well, let's have a quick sort of overview of how we understand our solar system okay. formed, the planets in our solar system. Because we know this one really well. Yeah, yeah. well... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much? Okay. Well, we know very reasonably well what the solar system looks like today. Sure, we're really familiar with what's around us now. But actually sort of pushing rewind on that button can... Not so easy. Yeah, you can diverge into a lot of different pathways pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I still find it absolutely staggering that the rings around Saturn haven't always been there and won't always been there. And that that's actually really quite a transient thing. Yeah, yeah. And if something like that is only hanging around for a relatively short while, then I don't know how we know anything. <laughs> I'm just completely floored by that one. Okay. Well, well we, we do know the general process. So we know that um, we talked about the formation of stars sort of in the now, here and now, in the last episode. And the sun is no exception to that. It's the sun formed from the collapse of a molecular cloud of gas and dust and came together. And it's planet formation is all tied up in star formation, right? You can't – we've been very naughty in some ways of putting these into two different podcasts because we should have kind of overlapped it's them maybe a little bit more. It's all tied together. But, yeah. you know, let's pull it apart. That's fine. So we had this um, – as the, the protostar was forming, then we had this protoplanetary disk, which we didn't talk too much about, but was basically the stuff that – from that molecular cloud that didn't make it into the star core itself or right. the, the sort of central region that becomes the star. So it's a similar composition to what the star is going to end up being made of. Of course, the star is going to go on and do fusion and all sorts of kind of exciting stuff. But broadly, the, uh, the, the disk is going to form out of the same primordial material. So you've got lots of hydrogen, a bit of helium, and then because we're talking about the here and now, we've got other sort of chemical elements that have been injected into the mixture from previous generations of stars. Right, through those nuclear processes in, in other stars that have come before, you've got, I mean, you'd have most things by that point, wouldn't yeah, you? Most, yeah. most elements that are commonly found, you would have. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And these are going to be the things that eventually become our planets and yeah. so on. I mean, that's today. us, right? Yeah. So about um, 100,000 years or so is kind of the lifetime of this protoplanetary disk. It's sort of after the birth of the star, whichever point you want to really call the birth of the star. But like when we talked about the Titari stars and the Herbig AE stars, etc., from the last episode, we're talking about this kind of period is okay. when they've got the disk. Right. Now, um, so the disk sort of sits around and then what happens is you've got two different sort of pathways to planet formation, which kind of makes sense because we've 
kind of got two broad categories of planets in our solar system today. You might have noticed we've got four little rocky ones, which sit quite close to the sun. Yep. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. Got and that. Then, and then we've got four big gassy ones. Yep. Which are a bit further away. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Yes. Yes, and then we won't talk about anything else. No, that. no, no, no. Just leave it alone. But it actually works with them quite nicely with this model, <laughs> yes, actually, right. if, we, if we leave yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other interlopers off the menu. But um, So those two obviously have different formation processes because they come out looking very different. And the dividing line is actually kind of a real line that you could draw, uh, or at least a ring you could draw in the solar system that changes which type of planet you're going to form, and that's known as the snow line. Yeah, now remember this one coming up. We have gone through that when we talked about the the uh, the planetary formation before. So that's, I mean, it, it's in the name really, isn't it? It's where ice is allowed. Yeah. Yeah. So you think, you know, hot close to the protostar, cold far away from it, somewhere is there's going to be a temperature of zero degrees Celsius, which is where water freezes. So instead of having water sort of in vapory, sort of gassy format, which would be in the inner solar system, you've got it in ice crystals, which right. is in the outer solar system. Sure. Okay. And so that forms a, I was about to say convenient, it's not convenient, it forms a, a defining line between, on one side of that boundary, you tend to form planets in this way. Yeah. And on the other side, you tend to form planets in that way. Yeah. So the good news about the ice, let's go to the outer solar system, is that it's very sticky. Right. So it tends to, like, if you stick bits of dust to a bit of ice, it tends to stick together tends to quite well. On, like a big snowball. Yeah. So each particle interaction kind of is usually successful in sticking things together. Exactly. So you get this kind of snowballing effect. So you form the cores of your giant planets very, very quickly. Okay. So you're talking about only within a few million years to get the cores and then you know, so maybe up to 100 million years to get the full planets themselves. And does that mean that because you can form them quickly and they're glomming together quite quickly, they can also get much bigger? Like, is that why they tend to be much larger planets? I mean, I'm talking in mass as well as... as well, well as the science. cores come together very quickly. And then what's happened when you've got this nice core is that you can then suck up all the gas, the hydrogen and helium, and then get your atmosphere. Right. So the kind of the planet core forms, then you get the gassy atmosphere very, very quickly. And then you kind of sitting there with your big gas giants and you know we call the ice giants uranus and neptune because they're just slightly a bit colder they've got slightly cooler gases etc but broadly it's all the kind of the same process all the same sort of thing so you've got those formed cool. really quickly okay. um in fact really you kind of strangle things off after a couple of million years so that they're, they're fine they've, they've sorted themselves out now in the inner solar system things are a bit different it's a bit hotter um, and so you've actually got to start sticking things together and the whole process takes longer because you don't have this kind of sticky ice happening. So how does that work then? Well, it's, it still happens. It's just slow. Right. So it's the same kind of process, but it's just we're waiting. Yeah, you stick grains that. together, you get bigger grains. You stick bigger grains together, you get even bigger. Like you, 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 You're accreting mass into these um, protoplanets. And the problem is, though, that these 
don't really have a chance to get big enough to hold on to an atmosphere before the protostars kind of had enough of this whole disk business and starts switching on fusion, starts getting very energetic and kind of blasts out the remaining gas, especially out of the inner solar system. Right. So the big ones a bit further out, they're established and they're able to, because partly because they're further away, but also because they're, they're bigger, they're, they're established. They, they, we're, no, we're going to hang on to our, onto our stuff, thanks very much. They're more resilient to this chaotic, violent, you know, star stuff happening. Whereas the ones that are closer in, because it's taking so much longer, they're like, oh, we'd, we'd like to get a bit bigger, please. No, blast, blast away any atmosphere that they might be trying to get or any, you know, any outer layers. And they just, they just can't get established as bigger yeah. yeah. So you and you don't have this gas, the hydrogen helium's gone. Right. It's been pushed out of the inner solar system. Right. So So effectively we're just we're just sort of the cause yeah. of, of the bigger planets in a in a sense. Yeah, and it's still even those cores take even longer to form. Mm. So now we're talking getting up to a hundred million years um, of formation. So but they just sort of slowly sit there and accrete and get slowly right. bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you know, there's a bit of ejection and a bit of jostling and so on around, but broadly that's what happens. Um, but then you might say, well, hang on a minute. It turns out that, you know, Venus, Earth particularly, have these lovely atmospheres. Yeah. Um, but they came along later. So right. they actually came from the planets themselves, volcanic tectonic activity, uh, okay. outgassing. Right. They sort of burped them up yeah. and hung onto them. Yeah. Right. So, Rather than capturing them from the disk itself. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So this is why we don't have a hydrogen helium atmosphere like the gas giants do. But we've got nitrogen and oxygen and carbon dioxide and things like that. So that's broadly where we get to um, with the outer planets, I guess, all coming down to, I think, the oldest rocks now that we found on Earth are something like uh, 200 million years old. 200 well, million. Well, sorry, after this um, formation of the star. Right, right. Okay, which is not, you know, that's not a huge no. amount. No, no. So... But yeah, the time so that scales happened pretty quickly. There is about a factor of a hundred difference still, nonetheless, between the time right. scales of formation of the inner and outer solar system. Right. Okay. But that's how we get to where we are today. Okay. And so th that's all tied up. We understand all of that, so we can go home now. Yeah. I mean, sort of. <laughs> Just we'll come back to some okay, of the bits right. that are kind of the the huge kind of crevices that we just you know glossed and glided straight over when I gave those explanations. All right. Fair but enough. Anyway. Um, now, the interesting thing is, and you can apply, of course, planetary formation from what we understand about the solar system to exoplanets. We've now got this huge resource of more than 5,000 exoplanets that we can study to say, hey, look, those ones look like the terrestrial planets. Those ones look like Jupiter's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, I mean, we've got, you know, you, you have to assume that our solar system is probably somewhere towards the average. Like there's nothing special about us. And so if you apply that assumption, then other planetary systems should look kind of similar. But it didn't really look that way at the beginning of exoplanets, did it? Because the first exoplanets that we tended to find tended to be the really big, weird ones, didn't they? Yes, yeah. So hot Jupiters, so things that yeah. were really massive, like Jupiter, but really close to their host stars. So they shouldn't have formed there because they weren't inside their snow lines, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's um, sort of selection bias. They're Absolutely. easy to see. Yeah. And so we saw them. Exactly. Yeah. They're very rare, actually, right. but they're, they're easier to detect. So they were the first kind of ones we detected. Um, is it like uh, 51 Pegasi and things like that were the very, some of the very first ones. Yeah. But by now, with the thousands that we've seen, like 
is it is it true to say that that our solar system is pretty average from what we can see? Well, we can at least apply what we see to many systems. I mean, of course, those hot Jupiters are different. We don't have one of them in our solar sure. system. So, I mean, we can explain that through some kind of either capture process so that planets come along later into that system and being captured by the star, or it's migrated inwards from an outer position right. through some mechanism. which Some things happen, they've yeah. jostled around and it's where it shouldn't be. But I guess what I'm asking is we do see a lot more planets which are, and, and a lot more systems, which are a lot more like what we see around us here in our own solar system. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's several examples. I mean, we've got systems like the TRAPPIST-1 system, which is kind of seven, uh, six or seven of these little rocky terrestrial-like planets, so they probably formed in a similar way. Yeah. Uh, we've got some gas giants, which are kind of a bit closer to than what we'd normally kind of think of for solar systems, but they're closer to smaller stars. So they, you know, they still can fit within all these kinds of theories. One of the interesting things that we don't have in our solar system that we have been able to observe quite a lot is um, these very, very massive gas giants. Like we're not just talking about sort of Jupiter, Saturn size things. We're talking about five to ten times the mass of Jupiter. Wow, like size big things. Jupiters. Really Jupiters. big things, but really far away from their host stars. So if you think about the sort of scale of our solar system, we sort of, we use a yardstick, if you like, which is an astronomical unit. Right, which is very sort of Earth-centric. It's the distance from the sun to the Earth on average, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it's our distance. Yep. That's our unit. Yeah, so you go from there to, um, I think Jupiter's kind of like five astronomical units, uh, getting out to um, Neptune, Uranus, we're sort of talking about 20 to 30 um, astronomical units. Okay, so that's our scale. The solar system is in the order of 20 to 30-ish astronomical units in, in radius. Yeah. Okay. So when we're talking about finding these enormous Jupiters, which are like 50 plus Right. astronomical units so away. way out beyond our planets yeah having a massive like 10 times the size of jupiter planet and we don't have that at least as far as we know well, i think <laughs> we're, i think we'd find out we'd pretty quickly yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah i think we know um so yeah and even up to 100 astronomical units like really far away from the host stars and we've been able to see these um exoplanets they're actually the ones that we tend to get direct imaging of right okay because uh direct imaging you have to if you want to take an actual picture of a planet going around a star you've got to get rid of the star basically yeah you kind of you put up a mask don't you yeah on, the, on on your telescope or whatever you're looking with and it's it's sort of it's literally blocking out the light of that star mm. uh, so you've lost all of that brightness and you can kind of see well what's around it yeah, yeah. it's called a coronagraph because mm -hmm. it used to be used for the sun you used to put it in front of the sun and block the sun out right um but yeah so you stick a mask there so you can actually see the brightness of these other planets um and there's actually quite a few systems that we've found that we can see there's there's some really famous ones actually that has some really lovely orbits um and so it comes down to okay now this is kind of third group if you like of exoplanets so how did they get there yeah how yeah i mean form? these aren't a, a little bit like the you know the really big sort of jupiter sized ones which are really close to the star you could say well we can explain that one away but what I hear you saying is, no, we've, we've found a few of these yeah. really big Jupiters a long way out. So that's that's something different. That's, well, how are they forming? Not 
you know, can we explain the position of that one? But but this is a whole new group. Yeah, exactly. A whole wow. new class. And so that is what the new paper that came out yesterday. Brand new, hot off the presses. Is kind of all about the and formation just, of these. Just giving a little shout out to University of Sydney astronomers who are involved in this paper. Um, Barnaby Norris and Peter Tuttle. Hi, guys. Nice to see you on the paper. That was a bit of a surprise. Anyway, what's in the paper? What have they found? Well... I'm going to remind you of something, actually, which is quite exciting here. So we've, we remembered that we talked about the – we found – did some imaging in 2018-19, mm-hmm. which ended up in a paper – I think it was in 2020 or – yeah, around about then, okay. somewhere. Last couple when of we, years. Whenever we did episode 68. Sure. Um, which was looking at the birth of a planet. We're seeing basically this is the very earliest stages we think maybe of stuff in that protoplanetary disk coming together to form a new planet. Right. I remember swirly images and in amongst that was that bit, that bit there, that blobby bit. See that? Planet. It's going to be a planet. Look at it. It's happening now, which is cool. This is exactly the same system, which is really, yeah. (laughs) What are the odds? I know. (laughs) I know. I was looking at thought. We've done this before. Yes. What's going on I here? I thought those images looked familiar. Yeah. I thought it was just, hey, it looks kind of like that. No, it turns out, same system. So this is AB Aurorge, which is the star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this new piece of research, it's actually a different planet. So the original one that we talked about, just to give you a quick recap, was we were looking at the protoplanetary disk and it had all these sort of spirally sort of structures and it had these twists. Yeah, I mean, gorgeous images. It was really pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have a look at your podcast player right now, kids. Um, and these were taken uh, using the near-infrared with the VLT and they were taking pictures of all these kind of structures and saying, actually, well, hang on, look, where that little twist is, that looks like it could be the very beginning of a planet forming. Right. And if it is, then it was going to be something between 4 and 13 times the mass of Jupiter. And it was about 30 astronomical units from its host star. Okay, so that's kind of outer boundaries of, of where our big big planets are yeah. in our solar system. It's pretty much Neptune. Great. Yeah. Okay. So and that was that. So we were, we're talking about, you know, how all these planets coming together. It was uh, the paper didn't quite go as far as to say this is definitely a planet mm-hmm. forming. But they were saying, you know, this could well be. Basically. It looks good. Yeah. Sure. So now we've got some new observations mm-hmm. of this system. Uh, so this time the authors have gone to Subaru, which is um, one of the biggest ground-based telescopes that we have. That's in Japan. Yes. And uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. So we got both those um, telescopes. And they took some new observations and they found looking a bit further out. Mm. So now we're going out to 93 astronomical units. Right. So that's a long way. That's like three times further out than any of our planets are. Yeah. And zooming out on those original images that we had. And from there, they've been able to identify at 93 astronomical units that there is actually a protoplanet there. Wow. Like not maybe, like... We're pretty sure. There's well, a thing. They've, they've given it a name. Okay. So they're I think, pretty sure then. <laughs> I, think, I think they're reasonably sure. I mean, it's not. It's still an unconfirmed planet. It's sure. a candidate planet yeah. still. But um, they've actually gone with the designation of a planet, which is, I think, a step further than the previous research that we discussed. Cool. So what do they call it? Well, AB... B-A-R-O-G. Oh, okay. Right. We've mentioned naming yeah. um, systems before. Yeah. I got my hopes up there. There'd be something interesting. <laughs> but no, we'll just give it a letter on the end of the name of yeah. the star. So That's the A and the B are capital for A-B-A-R-O-G. Mm-hmm. And then A-B, the second B that was a little case, mm-hmm. mean it's the planet. 
And we're not going to go back to why we don't have A's. No. Just how it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that was quite cool. And then they actually even saw some structures even further out. So this is between 430 and 580 astronomical units away. That's nuts. Like, that's halfway to the next star, isn't it? I mean... Well, no. Not quite. quite. (laughs) Okay, that's, that's, that's going a bit far. But that's way beyond anything that we know in our own local environment. Like yes. that's that's great. You can you can imagine going from like 30 astronomical units to 90. All right, well that's like order of magnitude fine. We we need to explain some stuff, but we, but this is a couple of orders of magnitude more. This yeah. is 100 times further out than any of our planets. And there's some candidate how? things that might be forming planets out way out there as how, well. Oh, Emily, how that doesn't well, make any sense. Because there's stuff out there. Right. <laughs> And if there's stuff, then you can make things out of it. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets interesting because when you sort of start to sit down and actually do some proper physics with this, not just kind of some kind of syzygy gloss over (laughs) the hand wavy stuff that we do. Stick some stuff together and blast some gas onto it and you've got a planet. Call it a planet. Give it a name. (laughs) Uh, If you actually do some proper physics and modeling here. (laughs) Actually put some maths on it. Yeah. 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 It turns out you can't really form these kind of things, at least in situ, in the traditional ways that we've talked about okay. planets. So those two methods that you talked about before, for the, the, the little rocky ones like us and the bigger ones like Jupiter and Saturn and so on, that's not going to work. Not going to work. Right. So, the, my, I mean, one of the main reasons is there's just not enough stuff. Right. So when you said a minute ago, but there's stuff, Chris. Like, trust me, I can make a planet. There's stuff. So, well, it turns out, Emily, not enough stuff. Well, there is some stuff, yeah, but you've also got to get that stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> and the so further out you go, the more This is literally getting your gas and dust together. Is, right. Is... Yes, get your gas and dust together. Yep, okay. Yeah. Um, and so the idea is actually that perhaps these are formed by a slightly different mechanism which is called a disk instability all right take me through this one then so you've got gravitational forces which are kind of when you look at these pictures that doesn't look like a sort of a disk like rings of saturn or anything like that they actually look like you've got things that you might recognize more from galaxy structures i was was about to say sort of the the spiral army type spiral arms Mm. yeah so these are what we call density waves that travel through disks so the spiral arms of our galaxy are not actually like fixed arms that rotate with the galaxy they're density waves of material so stars will kind of move in and out of the spiral arms very very slowly but basically it's kind of more like a pressure or a pile up it's like a sound wave traveling around that that as stuff bunches up it then like presses or i guess I mean, is it is it gravity based? Is it like yeah, it is gravity based. Right. Yeah. So you'd get sort of this as it as it bunches up, you'd get this this sort of wave of gravitational attraction. But then that creates a bit further out where there's a bit less stuff, and so there's a bit less gravity. And so though those are the conditions under which you do get this this kind of sort of pressure wave, except mm. that we normally wouldn't think of that in in terms of gravity. It's yeah. absolutely fascinating. It's so is this it? the same kind of thing happening but on a smaller scale? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I've got the quote here, which I quite liked. Um, it's a violent and rapid process of gravitational collapse. Okay, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I don't know that's all you need really, isn't it? <laughs> Violent and rapid. Yes. So, but so how? I mean, that's sort of descriptive, but it's not really telling us your density how. waves coming together, and then it pushes all the material together, and so then you've got basically collapse under that condition because you've put too much stuff together. The self gravity between all the gas and dust, etc., is going to actually coalesce into a planet, which right. is 
almost like a top-down model of formation instead yeah, of bottom-up. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Is... yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's that it's being sort of pushed together, squeezed together yeah. by by a like it is still sort of a pressure wave coming around, but that it that it causes. Well, we're just getting too much stuff here. Mm. Go clump, collapse down. Wow, oh, that's wonderful. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this is um, the first example of a forming. Um, planet at these kind of distances. I don't know if they're ever going to get a name. There's different little class of planets. But it's the first protoplanet at these large, what they call large astronomical units, large distances from the star. So a lot more to be kind of disentangled here, I think. Have we seen, like, have we spotted not forming planets, but, but formed planets, you know, planets that we're very confident that's definitely a planet at these kinds of distances? Yes. We, so yes, we know we have, that those yes. exist. Yes, I'll have to dig out the names, but there's a really nice system which has got, I think, two or three of them. And you can actually, there's some long time sort of lapse images of them orbiting around their host star. So we've got them fully formed, if you right, like. And we've right. seen them in the exoplanet data. Okay. And so this allows us to then start thinking about well, where did those come from? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. Yeah. I love the idea that we'd looked at this exact system and then someone had the idea, it's like, just zoom out a bit. <laughs> just hang on. Just where, have you got the whole picture? Just have a look. Just zoom out there, right out here. Mm -hmm. Look at that. That's cool. Yeah, and I mentioned that this system was also a celebrity system as well. Yeah, you did. So what's the story there? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, and it was just a throwaway comment that I found in one of the articles I was reading, but I thought, well, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, this star system actually makes an appearance in a recent uh, satirical film that I uh, Imagine quite a lot of uh, oh, science it... geeks out there are quite into. Don't look up. It is in Don't oh, Look Up. I did finally watch that not not long ago, and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, so I did both. Yes. <laughs> Just, oh, you have to. Yeah. It's the only emotional response that's acceptable. <sighs> yeah. But, yeah, apparently in Don't Look Up, there's a snapshot of this um, AB Aurora system. It's not zoomed out enough that you can see these new planets that we're talking mm. about, but you can actually see the old inner structures. Fabulous. Um, yeah, nice. which is weird. Nice so, little sort of current research shout out there in the satirical film. That's kind of Yeah. Cool. So one of the authors from this paper, we should mention that the authors. Uh, yeah, that would probably help. Um, so it was Curry et al. As a, the Quite a long list of et al's, actually. Yeah. yeah. And it was a big nature paper, yeah, right? Yeah. We, I think when they were still preparing the... Um, as part of the peer review system, then the film came out. So uh, there's a little Twitter link that we can put in that shows you the system being shown on i i, I hadn't actually looked into what the context was because it doesn't seem like it should be we just it was film. probably just we need some pictures in the background that look astronomical you got any good ones yeah we've got this one great fantastic put it up yeah that's the kind of thing because i don't really think in terms of sort of meteors and comets and things that it would be particularly useful yeah, no, to start looking not. at these, these stars. Not. but anyway but i love the idea of the astronomers watching the film and they're going that's that's mine. That's my <laughs> research right there on the screen. Yeah, so it's, it's really strange. Leonardo DiCaprio. I do a lot of that with um, films that are filmed in New Zealand that I didn't know right. were filmed in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be sitting there going, this is feeling eerily familiar. What's going on here? <laughs> well, most of the people just walking by in the background would be people you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I've got a few orc cousins, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to mention anything, okay? <laughs> I didn't want, to, didn't want to presume. There was also that... Um, this might be an aside for another time. There was also the, 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 the time when we were watching a Weird Al music video oh, yeah. and uh, we, they flashed up the Schrodinger equation and uh, my friend and I noticed that they had an error in the Schrodinger <gasps> equation. Weird Al, get your act together. Yeah, what? I mean, that yeah. sounds like the sort of thing that he would take pride in getting right 
as well. Yeah. Shocking. There were H's instead of H bars. You you just can't (laughs) be doing it. Anyway, so this example is not the first protoplanet that we've discovered. Mm -hmm. Although I was interested, actually, just sort of sifting through some of this early disk, early planet stuff. It's all happened in the last few years. Like, it's all 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I was like... I've just been a bit blind, <laughs> oblivious to... You've been paying attention to other things. Yeah. I mean, look, for the last couple of years, that's understandable. Who hasn't been? But what, like, so what's the reason for, for that? I mean, is it because we've just got better technology now? We've worked out how to do stuff in the last, let's call it, five years? Yeah, I think so. I think we've got the the, the telescopes and um, various instruments that we need online. Mm. So we've got things like the VLT, uh, we've got ALMA, we've got some really brilliant spectrographs. Um, so I think partially it's the technology, but I think partially there's just been an explosion in this area of research, mm. which is quite interesting because I was going back and thinking, I wonder what the first proto-planet outside our solar system. First time that we saw one actually in the process of formation. Yeah, and these images. Because I I always find these images fascinating because, you know, take me 10 years ago, I would have said, you know, you you want to image an exoplanet, you know, you're you're nuts. Good luck. Yeah, what are you trying to do? And then turns out, no, there's one. Oh, (laughs) good, right. Yeah, all the things that you never knew that you'd see in the very near future. That is such a lovely thing about... (laughs) getting older um is that is that only within like the span of a decade you can go from that just seems impossible to no that's actually pretty routine now like we do that regularly now oh right and there are so many parts of modern scientific research where things are just progressing so quickly mm, that mm. you you can in the space of just a short period of time like a few years go from Look, we just did a thing for the very first time ever to we've got loads of those now. Oh yeah, tons of them. I mean the whole exoplanet thing is a great example. Sure, we we found the first exoplanets decades ago, but the explosion in the last decade has just been extraordinary. It's madness. Thousands. And it makes you feel, me feel really guilty because I sort of think I'm, I'm very close-minded if I thought, well, <laughs> you can never do that. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean that every generation has that. You'll never you'll like it, you know, when we're in retirement, Emily. Um, we will look back on the, ah, oh, look, nuclear fusion will never happen. We'll never have energy from nuclear fusion as our kids are going around on fusion-powered skateboards with their with our grandkids. Yeah. I mean... And just, you know, that's how it's going to work. I've got to be say, I'm, I'm, I'm less confident in the nuclear fusion <laughs> physicists than I am in the astronomers. The astronomers do you know, can do anything. I don't think you're the only one. But look, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, that's a, yeah. that's a bigger side. Protoplanet. First we protoplanet. 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 Yeah, it was yeah. imaged in 2018 was 2018. the paper. So that was the first one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, how we missed all this exciting stuff. Well, I mean, I, I want to say we did we did talk about it, didn't we? We did talk about, well, we did the um, AB Aurora stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but we didn't do the, this particular first one. that wasn't one. the first one, okay. No. So 2018, um, it's about the mass of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about the orbital distance of Uranus, so okay. about this 20 kind of astronomical units. And it's a warm planet, so it's it's new because when you're forming, you have a lot of friction, you get a lot of heat um, build up. So planets form relatively warm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's about a thousand degrees, and that's not untypical. And it's how we actually see them because they're glowing, right? Right. So you, I mean, you're not seeing them necessarily from the light reflecting off them. Like was this was this seen in yeah. the in the same way with the, with yes, the what did yeah, you call yeah. it the cor- corona corona coronagraphs coronagraphs yeah. which block out the light of the star, but then 
you're looking for the, the, the planety bit going around that. But you're not seeing that from light reflected off it necessarily, but from its own, its own emission, glow yeah. of its own heat. Same with all these discs, right? We're looking right. in the infrared because we're looking at these so quite low temperatures, right, really, but right. uh, pop them out. So this one is called PS70B. Catchy. Yeah. Um, it's actually in a system where it's got a friend, at least one other friend, mm-hmm. which is PS70C. That's nice. It yeah. makes me happy. Yeah. So in, in these nice little planets, in fact, PS70C is famous for being the first planet that we've seen a circumplanetary disk. Oh, now hang on. What does that mean? Circumplanetary, as in disk around the planet itself? Yes. As in might form moon or rings? Yeah, or? moon forming, ah, probably. So proto-moon. Proto-moon. Proto-planet with proto-moon. Exactly. Oh, we've never had a proto-moon before. That's exciting, isn't That's it? That's cool. Yeah, so the proto-moon was discovered in 2019, and some new images actually came out last year of that. Um, I mean, let's be honest, it's looks to me like just a bit of a smudge <laughs> but i'm confident yes, but emily if you were to if you were to just dismiss all of the things in the night sky that just look like a bit of a smudge you'd be wiping out half of astronomy wouldn't yeah, you yeah come on well it's just because i deal in the the very finicky high precision high resolution <laughs> as part of my research it must be quite tricky being a researcher saying here's a fuzzy blob figure mm. out if this is a planet and a moon yeah it's it's fuzzy it's a smudge but we know exactly what kind of smudge we think it is <laughs> so i mean are they confident it's a proto moon well it's definitely it's definitely a disc yeah okay so whether or not it's formed moons or anything it's, it's beyond what Who we knows? can say at the moment it's at least got enough mass to form maybe three moons the size of earth's moon cool which is actually rather large so and really not indicative of the kind of moons that would form around these big gas giants. Right. Is that be- is that because the bigger the planet the more they would tend to rip apart a big a big moon? Like, why don't you get big moons? Well, let's get into moons. Okay. Let's do moons. If we're doing planets, let's, let's do, do moons. Let's do moons, yeah. So, well, there's actually two different ways you can form, well, at least, at least two at different least. moons. Two different ways you can form moons. Uh, so there's the way that the terrestrial planets tend to form moons, which is what Earth has done and what Pluto has done, despite it not being a terrestrial planet. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that aside, yeah. Uh, which is basically just get smashed to bits yeah, by something. Yeah, Earth got hit by a big thing, didn't it? By Theia. By Theia, yeah. yes. And that was rough. And a whole bunch of stuff got launched up into space and formed the moon. Yeah. So you had a collisional yeah, yeah. thing. Um, so... That probably happens, well, it happened at least twice in our solar system because it happened to Pluto as well. So Charon is probably formed in a similar way. Right, okay. Hey, what happened to Theia? Um, it didn't... Did it just sort of ricochet off or did it not yeah. last and it's now part of us or... No, well, we don't know. Right, okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, in theory, it should have ricocheted off and then we wouldn't see it ever again. But because there's not really a lot of evidence for the moon being different composition to the Earth, it's a bit confusing. Right. Exactly. So we know there. it happened and we've given that a name. Yeah. Thanks, Thea. But, uh, but other details yeah. still... Sure. But what that does is create big moons. Right. Like, well, I mean, the moon itself is not huge, but in comparison to the size of the Earth, it's massive, right? Okay. It's really big. And um, that's that's not what we tend to see elsewhere in the solar system. Well, no. I mean, we were only ones with a significant moon 
in the, in a solar system anyway. Mm-hmm. Mercury uh, doesn't have one. Venus doesn't have one. Mars no, has uh, Phobos and Deimos, two. two little potatoes that right. it's found in yeah. its kind of orbit. And they're much smaller. Aren't oh they? yeah, they're just little bits of asteroid that kind right. of right. You just pick them up. They're barely moving. Right. Let's be honest. <laughs> You're being a bit dismissive well, there. I think if I was Mars, I was like, hang on. Just wait a damn But they're, they're not here. moons as we know it. They're just little <laughs> bits that are hanging on. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Right. Um, and then if you go to the outer solar system, of course, and then Saturn, Jupiter uh, have masses of moons. But if you actually look at the size, uh, you know, even the, the biggest moons of Jupiter are kind of on the same scale as our own moon. Right. Which is crazy, yeah. right? In comparison to the size of the planet. You yeah. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. So those moons came from a different source. Um, the outer solar system moons came from probably some kind of circumplanetary disk around Jupiter, Saturn, uh, that then coalesced kind of in a next fractal pattern scheme down way as right, right. you had the formations of planets in the in the disk of the star. Mm-hmm. Then you had then you um, have the disk moons. and that forms the moons. Um, and that's, I mean, you can even see Saturn sort of, doing similar-ish stuff today. It's got rings, um, but some of those are sort of, the rings are being pushed together and being Mm. shoved into different um, orbits as well. I mean, the rings kind of came from the opposite effect. Really, well, they? Yeah, it was, they it was a lump that then just got torn apart because it got a bit too close. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you can imagine the material coming together sure. again and forming different moons. But anyway, so they that's more of the kind of forming in situ around the planet. And then you have the captured moons, which there are loads in the solar system as right. well, but okay. we just... So there's sort of three ways. You can bash some stuff off a planet. You can have a disk which coalesces into a moon. Or you can just capture something wandering past. Go, yeah. no, you're mine now. Yeah. yeah. But definitely all the um, the big moons, like the Galilean moons of Jupiter, formed from this disk. And so we're now seeing that same process happening for an exoplanet. Awesome. Which is quite cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. So whether or not there's the moons are actually well, they're probably still in formation in some sense, but at least we can say we've seen evidence that they could form into nice yeah. moons over there. Now, so let's be clear otherwise, though. All right, okay. <laughs> because let's, let's not not get too excited here. I mean, we you know it's all very sweet talking about baby planets and baby moons, which we haven't done. Yeah, yeah. but I've gone. We've gone back and forth. I think even in this podcast, and me certainly in my teaching over the last four or five years, of saying we've found exomoons, we haven't found exomoons, yeah. we've found exomoons. Oh no, we haven't found them. Making these great proclamations. Oof. Yeah. It's been, there's been what, there must have been at least a dozen of them over the the last decade or so of these candidates. Mm -hmm. Some of them more likely than others, but some of them we really got excited about. And then some of them, yeah, very quickly turned out to be, "Mm, have you looked at, you know, how you analyze the data in this way? Right. So it's not, what you're saying is, it's not as clear cut as, hey, look at this image. That's a thing. It's much fuzzier than that. Yes. It could be. Well, yeah, there's been some evidence um, that perhaps there's some moons, and I think there's a there's a, probably a handful of them, maybe three or four, that we're just waiting on some better data, I would suspect, for. But there's, they're all candidates. Nothing's confirmed. We do not have any confirmed exomoons. Right. Yet. Yet. And that's because they're hard <laughs> to find. Planets took long enough. Well, yeah. I mean, when you still look at the inner solar system of our Um, you know, part of the universe, we're still basically at the detection limit of what we could find out there in our own galaxy. Like, could you see the Earth going around our sun 
is we're still like wow because it's small and close yeah yeah pretty much sort of maybe on that limit with our best instruments our best telescopes now and that's seeing us yeah let alone a moon exactly yeah fair so enough. we'll cut you some slack yeah yeah it's not easy so <laughs> well well done to everyone who thinks they might have i yes. think that's that's a good step yeah um so where does it kind of stand at the moment like you you said that there are a there's been sort of oscillating backwards and forwards. We've seen one. We're not sure that we've seen one. That's definitely a moon. That may not be a moon. Are, are there a few candidates at the moment which are sitting there in the camp of, we're pretty sure that's a moon? I don't want to go that far. I okay. think there's some evidence that there might be. But like I say, we just need to do some more digging, some more data follow up. James Webb is probably going to help us mm -hmm. at some point <laughs> with this because it's going to solve everything in yes, which, astronomy anyway. No pressure, JWST, um, but uh, if you could just solve all of these things for us, that'd be great. Yeah, so really what we need to, to be able to detect an exomoon, I think the, there's lots of ways you could do it, but there's three ways that we've actually, I think, got a chance of doing it soon. Um, the first way is with transits. So this is the way that we've been so successful in finding planets mm -hmm. is that we wait for them to pass in between us and their host star. The star gets a little bit dimmer and then you can say you've got your planet. So how do you do that with a moon? Is that a transit in front of the planet or is it a transit in front of the star where you see it does a, a little blip with a little blip attached to it? Yeah, it's, it's the latter. Yes, yeah, so you, right. you need to get a bit extra blip. Wow. Yeah. Which is really, like, it's hard enough. Well, exactly. We're already working at the less than 1% kind of <sighs> level of dimming. Gee so whiz. It's hard, but, you know. Yeah. But that's why we pay them the big bucks, right? That's why you astronomers are rolling in it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It does actually mean, though, that, you know, with the next generation of planet hunting telescopes, and I'm not actually really talking about James Webb here. I'm really talking about the next generation of more ground-based ones. Um, but ones who, that's their job. Or other space missions. So Plato is one of them. Okay. Um, we got the ELT, so the 24-meter telescope going on. Extremely being, large telescope. Yeah. Exceptionally European, large. extremely large <laughs> telescope. Really big. Yeah. Really, really big. Um, so that's gap, that's going to be coming online in the next decade or so. So, you know, we've got s possibly stuff that we mm. can use um, for those. So, yeah, maybe. We'll yeah, see. watch this space. Yeah. The next one's microlensing, which mm -hmm. we've actually already talked about. Yeah, yeah, that was, remember, we were talking about uh, back at the beginning of this episode, the oldest star, which yeah. we saw from it being gravitationally lensed by huge galaxies in the way. Yeah. yeah. The microlensing doesn't worry about too much about the size of the planet. Like we can get to much, much smaller planets using microlensing techniques. Uh, we just wait for stars to pass in front of or in between us and a star planet system. And there's been numerous ones that we've detected, some which are very, very small, but some are very much Earth mass. So it's the same principle because it's microlensing, micro in the sense of it's not something really huge getting in the way like mm -hmm. a cluster of galaxies. It's like a star. It's yeah. where we're looking at the lensing effect of a single star passing between us and another star and its planets yeah. in order to to lens that and magnify the image a bit. Yeah, so you yeah. get a, you get a magnification from the star itself, and then if you've got a little planet, then you often get this little blip uh, as well from the planet itself. So you can imagine sort of scaling that down. You could get a star, then a planet, then maybe a moon. Problems, you just got to be really lucky. I was about to say, how do you do that? Like, it's <laughs> not like you can go and there. 
you know, or you're not waiting for this to happen. Presumably you're looking at stars and going, oh, that just lensed something. Yeah, so incredibly rare event. And we do what we always do random. in astronomy yeah, with yeah. really, really rare events. You take lots of data. We just yeah. look at a lot of things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, there'd be computers involved. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we do also, um, surveys of very, very dense stellar regions. We do the um, right. the Milky Way, look through the Milky Way hunting Looks for these things. Lots and lots and lots of stars and hope that a few of them might be lensing something that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So I'm not sure what the incidence rates are expected to be, but I'd, I'd say they're pretty small. Getting a planet is already quite rare. Mm. So getting a planet and a moon. And a moon. Gee whiz. You're really is, rolling the dice This there. is really hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing is actually you can do some potentially some interesting things with spectroscopy where you look at the spectroscopic signature of a planet that's from the light that it's either reflecting or transmitting from its host star. You can sort of get a spectral signature from mm. the planet. And we can do this. We do it for, for some. That's sure, how I we remember know, that coming up. Yeah, yeah. that's how we know that there's some planets have um, methane in their atmosphere. Yeah, like that's that. right. Because the, the light that sort of comes through the atmosphere of the planet reflects or you know tells you about both the light from the star, but also what did you just go through though? Yeah. Like the, the atmosphere itself does things to that signature. So the idea is instead of coming it through the atmosphere of the planet, you get it to bounce off the atmosphere. So just before the planet kind of hides behind the star, mm -hmm. you're actually getting the starlight reflected off the surface of the planet. Right. So it's like having a mirror behind the star. Yeah. yeah. And so you can get the same spectral signature. It's just it's it's basically the same technique and sure. you can do all the same stuff as you do with the transmission sure. spectroscopy. But um, the idea is if there's a moon there as well, then you might also get a little bit of the signature of the moon and that might look a little bit different from the signature from the sun or at least from the planet and at least they'll be combined in a slightly different way. <laughs> and again, let the and, computers figure it out. I, uh, none of this sounds in any way remotely easy to oh, do. Oh, no, 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 no. So, but those are the top three, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. Good. There are other, other techniques might be available. No one said this was going to be easy. But, you know, <laughs> I, I literally have had to swallow my words twice already in this episode, so mm -hmm. let's, let's wait and see. Yeah, well, look, if, if we in 18 months' time end up having episode, what, I don't know, like 130 or something, where you go, do you remember back in episode 95 where we hadn't even spotted any moons, any exomoons yet, like absolutely definitively? Now we're just tripping over them. There's one over there in the corner. You know, that'll, that'll be, I predict, by episode 130. There you are. Strong prediction there. Oh, look, but what do I know? <laughs> I know literally nothing. Right. So we're coming, I guess, back full circle. We've talked sure. about baby planets. Mm -hmm. Forming and baby moons forming and why we don't see even not baby moons today. Yeah. Um, so what don't we know still about how planets move? Well, I mean, form? when you say we, like there's loads I don't know, but how about you? What 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 don't the astronomers know? Well, I thought it'd be nice to highlight I've got what have I got? Five points. Right. This is only five of many. <laughs> But pick five, or these are the top five, or a random selection of these five. These are things. ones that I've read about that I find interesting. Okay. So these are a personal curated list okay. of things that I think would Emily's be good to know. Emily's top five. Yep. yep. If the astronomy community could just get onto this, <laughs> that'd yep. make it that'd be quite day. good. So, number one, how do you go from grains to cars? How do you go from grains to cars? Okay, my interpretation of what you're saying there is grains, very small little lumps of stuff, grain, grain, granular-sized bits, to car-sized chunks 
And when you're forming a planet or yeah. a moon, presumably, you've got to go from really, really tiny, dusty bits to larger chunks, grains, to eventually you're going to have a car-sized bit. But I'm guessing from your question, there's a bit of a question mark about, yeah, how do you get from that to that? Yeah, yeah. So you can stick things together using electrostatic forces when they're small, which is right. how you get to, say, bits of um, planet that are kind of the size of a grain of sand, for example. Right. That's like rubbing a balloon on your hair and then sticking the balloon to the wall. Yep. Right. It's that kind of static electricity yep. attraction. Yep. That's all. So that's all fine. We can, we can sort that. Sure. Cars, um, you've got gravitational forces that kind of start to take over now. Right, okay. Holding cars, cars can, though we don't tend to see it in the world around us, cars are big enough that given enough time they could clump together by gravity, not mm. electrostatics. And, you know, have their own little gravitational field that they can pick up the small stuff as well. Sure. Getting in between them is tricky. Right. Um, and there's a lot of research going on about how these disks work because you've got both dust and gas sort of kicking around in these disks. And the part of the problem is going from dust from grains to cars is that the disks seem to be going the stuff in the disks seem to be moving around too quickly. Right. So they've got too much energy. So that they can't just sort of come together under, for example, gravity because they've got too much kinetic energy moving them around. So how do you get rid and dump all this energy? Hmm. It's quite a tricky one. So you can you can model the, we're going to stick things together, clump things together electrostatically to make grains. And then once you've got cars, we're, we're okay. Hmm. But we can't bridge that gap. Yeah, well, we think... Modelling-wise, yeah. You've got to introduce some extra bits of physics, which, let's be honest, particularly very um, basic physicists like myself don't like to do. You have to introduce forces like drag forces. Mm. Um, so dust, dust and yeah. gas have drag and friction happening between them, so maybe that's part of it. That gets messy real quick. Even worse, there's probably some electromagnetic... Um, like the magnetic field of the star is probably oh. interfering with the disc. Magnetism's the worst. I know it's really hard. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a few ideas out there, and there's there's papers that do come out that are quite interesting about um, how they call streaming instability, which is kind of about this friction and how it slows things down in a disc, or resonant. Um, instabilities conga lines of little particles being <laughs> great mental images up here. And, but yeah how it, do you get from grains to cars oh conga line yeah that's obvious yeah nice. so there's stuff going on but actually the models are still aren't converging into kind of a single way right. to the jury's still out in. on this one yeah okay so, well if we could answer that one please that'd yep, be great that'd be good thanks and then kind of related to this in number terms two. of it's, yeah no, this is number two is that actually you need to also move things in in a disc. Mm -hmm. So we think that discs, well, discs definitely are still accreting onto the star. So that's the inner bit that the material is still going into the star. But everything in the solar system, for example, just needs to dump a whole lot of angular momentum and just start to calm down and move in a little bit closer to its host star. Do you mean as in the way we understand it at the moment, we, we, can, we can sort of in our models, we can form... You know, out of the out of the disk, we know what parts are going to make the star, and then these outer bits they're going to make the planets, and that's fine. We can see that happening, but to match what we see in the universe, somehow, all of that's got to shift in a bit mm. at some point. That all the, the the models are currently saying, yeah, we can make your solar system. But it's going to be a bit far out for yeah. what you're looking for. Got a bit too much energy. So somehow we've got to 
as you say, dump some of the angular momentum, stop it spinning quite so much so quickly, fling in itself outwards, and just come in a bit. Yeah. How would they do that? Well, we don't know. No. We th- okay. We think this is viscosity, which is kind of related to what we're talking about. The like sticky, drag and friction, yeah. stickiness of the disc. But the um, observations that we have so far suggest that actually the stickiness of the disc doesn't seem to be related to the size of the planetary system particularly well at all. Right. So this that doesn't some, help. Yeah, <laughs> it seems to be all a little bit weird. Yeah. You know what it is? It's probably magnetic fields again. Probably. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Bloody magnetic fields. I know. But yeah. anyway, so you've got to inwardly spiral a few of the other things. Okay. It's figuring that's, that one out. Yeah, yeah. That'd be quite nice. So that's number two. Yeah. Okay. Um, then we're going to number three, also slightly related, is migration. Mm-hmm. We know that planets don't necessarily stay where they formed for their whole lives. We've talked about the hot Jupiters that have, have probably yeah yeah a bit too migrated. close to the star. They yeah. wouldn't have formed there. So what How do you do in there, there, Jupiter? You yeah. don't belong in that place. Off you go. Yeah. So that's obviously gone under serious migration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's not easy to push a Jupiter around. No, it's got to dump a huge amount of yeah. angular momentum. Yeah, to yeah, do yeah. That. yeah. So how um, does that happen? Do we know? No, no. Well, there's some ideas. There are ideas. Um, but even in our own solar system, migration is really important. We think that Jupiter and Saturn sort of played a big role, scattering things around, moving in, moving back out again, pushing a lot of the icy things back into the inner solar system, perhaps um, destroying whatever was trying to form <laughs> after Mars. Generally, just throwing their weight around. No, it's yeah. not the asteroid, but you know, yeah. So there's and there's actually different models, which I think we talked about, and that how to build a solar system. So go back and have a listen to that if you want to hear about things like the Nice okay. model. But the exact mechanism for how that happens, what makes a Jupiter suddenly go? You know what? I'm going down there. I'm going to have going to have a little little warm holiday down close to the star how does how does that happen yeah. we don't know something, we just know that it does something with resonances okay resonances and probably magnetic fields okay something. yep so that's number three um number four is an exoplanet one mm-hmm. so we know that the most common type of exoplanet in the galaxy mm-hmm. is one that we don't have <laughs> now look that could just be coincidence it surely. could be chance but super earths are quite Common. Super, so these are super Earths. Isn't there sort of there's a there's a gap sort of super Earth mini Neptune? Well, that's another. Yeah, that's or another, is that a different that's one? A, well, no, that's a different sort of question. We sort uh, of okay. we maybe sort of know why that happened. Right. But super Earths we were talking about. Yeah, things that are a few times the size of Earth. So somewhere in between Earth and Neptune and size. Right. Because um, Earth's the biggest of the rocky planets that we've got in our solar system. Yep. Right. Yeah. And then there's a really big jump. Isn't there mm. to the next planet, the Neptune, which is how many Earths? Oh, roughly? many, lots like of many, them, lots. <laughs> and so, you know, you might just think it's just picking planets at random. You'd get something in in the middle there. We don't have that, but is what you're saying? Well, but we see them. They are. Oh, out absolutely. There. Yeah, they're, they're all very, over the they're place. They're very common. Right. So, you know, first of all, how did they form? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you get enough stuff together to become a super Earth mm-hmm. in the first place? If indeed you were just kind of a bigger version of earth mm-hmm. which may be the smaller super earths you can imagine they're just earth but got a bit bigger sure but then also you know that we've got this other class which are the mini neptunes and so maybe these are actually things like hot jupiters or hot neptunes that drifted into the inner solar system had their atmospheres blown away by their host stars and so you're just left with this kind of core which now looks like right. a terrestrial planet. 
Right. So you've got your big core, but it doesn't have your, your, your huge gassy atmosphere around it anymore. It might have some or none, but it doesn't look like the sort of planets that we've got. And is that, you know, is that just random chance that yeah. we don't have one? But a name just for the these types goes. of planets. They're yeah. quite cool. They're called Chthonian planets. Why are they called Chthonian planets? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> sure. I was calling them Cthulian planets for a while and then I realised that I actually had it wrong. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, what, what, what's basically what's what the deal with... What even is that? What is the deal What's with the that? deal with those? <laughs> and how is that linked to migration? And what on earth is going on? <laughs> I mean... Planets, could yeah. you just get your act together? Yeah, okay. so that's, that's my fourth, so that's, fourth question. So that's four. Yeah. And was there five? Yeah, five is a big one. And um, mm. we've mentioned it before, but, you know, where did all our water come from? You mean our water specifically? On Earth, on yeah. Because I know, I know this is kind of getting a little bit further on the timeline track from formation of a planet. Mm. But water is really important here on Earth. We like it. And it's not obvious where it's come from because we don't, ha- we don't have it from the primordial – or maybe we have it from the primordial Earth that's just sort of formed and then it's been outgassed. Mm-hmm. Maybe it came in from the outer solar system later on. Maybe it came from the asteroids. Well, like in the form of like asteroids and comets ice, and things? Yeah, th- things that impacted Earth. Maybe it – yeah, there's just lots of Because isn't there options. quite a lot of ice in – Am I getting that there's wrong? Loads there loads out, of ice? Yeah, there's loads out in the Kuiper Belt and so yeah. on. But if, there, if that is the source, then how did it get in? Mm-hmm. And then the, from our more recent, we, we just assumed that was that was the story for a long time, right? Okay, so you had when you had all this nonsense about Jupiter and Saturn jostling about, maybe they just flung a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> Here you go. Just <laughs> chuck a bucket of water <laughs> yeah, at us. Basically. Um, but more recent evidence is suggesting actually that water that's out in the outer solar system is very different to the water that we have here on Earth. So maybe it's not that at like all. How is it? how is it different? As in it's got other stuff with it. It's different isotope ratios. Right. So it's different water. That doesn't help. No. So maybe actually it came more from the Earth itself that we just sort of bottled it up on the inside and let it out slowly (laughs) (laughs) over time. It's all all very confusing, but it feels like a very... it'd be nice to know given how important it is. Yeah, and it feels like a very modern question Mm. because... As I say, I was just yeah, scattered ice from the our solar system, fine sure. water. Yep. Yep. Draw a line under that, done. But that seems to be very much up in the air right. now. Okay. So that's kind of cool. All right. Well, look, there you go. If, that, if, if you don't have enough to do, astronomical community of the world, then that's Emily's top five wish list. That would make a really nice... Um, you know, baby shower present, I think. <laughs> that'd be good if you could exactly. just, just sort out a couple of those at least. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Now, I know we've made also a huge progress in lots of these areas, and I've <laughs> also skimmed across that. We don't want to sound impatient. <clears throat> no, no. but And I don't want to, to belittle anybody's <laughs> PhD theses, particularly, who have gone into some of these questions. Oh, people out there listening, just throwing things at their... I was about to say their radio. We're not on the radio. Throwing their headphones across the room. So I know we know more than what I've been able to quickly gloss over today, but I still think there are big questions to be answered in all of those areas and probably loads more that I'm not even aware of. Well, if we can do our part in encouraging the world to to look into those things, and at the very least, Emily, we've got some insight into those lectures that you give where your students come out the end and go, we don't know anything yet. No, we, we do. We know a bunch of stuff, but there's still really good questions to ask. 
Yes, yes. And so I think uh, like a lot of, I guess, they've returned to the kind of the baby theme, the gestational theme. You know, we know bits about how babies, we probably actually know quite a lot more about how babies grow and I hope so. Actually, how we, <laughs> I hope for your how sake. the planet Earth is growing. I really hope when you go in for your doctor's appointments, they're not going, wow, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to sometimes take that step back and say, actually, this is not all, you know, everything known. There's a lot of interesting questions that we can answer that. And I'm sorry if you are a paediatrician or a, I don't know what a paediatrician is before the baby's born, but whatever that job title is, <laughs> that person that researches babies before they're born. And you've got probably a long list of questions that's just like that as well. But um, I think it's just nice to know that there are these exciting things out there to go and find out. Well, Emily... I think we got a two for one there. We started off talking about baby planets and we ended up just throwing in baby moons as well. It's like having twins, which, yeah. you know, that would, if, if you didn't know that was going to happen, that would be very exciting, I'm sure. Uh, do you know, you're not having twins? No. 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 <laughs> you, you, nice, to, <laughs> nice to think you'd know that by this point. Um, but we got to have twins on this episode with some baby moons thrown in there as well, which was very, very cool. Emily, if people wanted to get in touch and yell at us about all of the things which we've been talking about on this episode that we said we didn't know and they've been doing their PhD on it and in fact they have some really really good research that's just about to come out answering some of these questions how would they get in touch with us well I reckon you could get your nature paper link all the way into a Twitter feed I reckon you could yep, yep. yep. And, and send it in a tweet to us so that I, you know I'm good at nature papers I, I quite like nature paper I'm, I'm not good at writing them Emily doesn't get out of bed for anything <laughs> less than I'm, I'm quite good at reading them because they're just that slightly more dumbed down version <laughs> yes. for me which is quite not helpful. dumbed down made generally accessible yes, yes. 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 that's good yeah. so yeah whack it in a tweet and fire it to at syzygypod s-y-z-y-g-y-p-o-d that's right and if it happens to have a really good image or a bit of video to accompany it, then they could put it somewhere else. They could put it on the Instagrams. Yes, yes. I thought Instagram was just for putting pictures of like, I don't know, your pristine laundry cupboard or something up. Or your lunch or your breakfast or something. But no, if you've got a really cool image of swirly planetary, protoplanetary, moony type things, then throw that our way on the Instas as well. We're at Pod there. Two, we're also on the Facebook. Just go and put into the search thing at the top, Syzygy Podcast. We're the only one of those out there, so you'll find us. Yep. Um, we have a website, mm-hmm. syzygy.fm, with all of our past episodes, contact page where you can say hi, link to all of the people who have ever helped us out over the years. Speaking of such things, if you wanted to help out the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can tell everyone you know, tell the people in your life who might get a kick out of some astronomical podcastage, that we exist and it'll help us to rise up through the noise of the podcasting universe. If you wanted to throw a couple of quid or dollars our way to help the electrons flow through the website and help us to do the things we do, then head over to patreon.com slash syzygypod where you can become a patron of the podcast. And uh, like I said, help us to keep the website going and help us to do live events when live events become a thing. 
and uh, and do the thing that we do. Thanks to all of our fabulous patrons who help us to uh, to keep the show going. But otherwise, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. And Emily, does that bring us to the end of baby themed shows? I think that's main series of baby themed series. The main the, series. The main sequence of yeah, yeah. baby babydom. Yeah. So I think well, you can't really go much smaller than moons and call it an astronomical podcast. Not really. No, I'm no. not sure what else we do. No, no. Mm. So I think that kind of wraps us up here for yeah. now. But we've got some kind of fun ideas of just off the handcuff kind of just weird topics. Yeah, we're going to keep going is the point. We're not stopping here. We're going to keep going. And at some point, Emily's going to bow out for a little bit and just take care of some home business. Um, but we're definitely not calling this quits just because we've run out of baby things in the universe. So we'll be back again in let's call it a week or so. Until then, Emily, take care. Hope everything's going well. And I'll catch up with you, let's say, in a week. See you later. Bye, everybody.